Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. All right, guys, that sounds kind of fancy-schmancy, and thank you, Randy Kay, for that intro. We're hanging on to that intro for years and years and years now. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, you guys got you gonna need to change that intro up, and I love that intro because it's my friend Randy Kay, and she taped it for me, and I'm all proud of it. So thank you, Randy, always for that kind, cool intro that surprised me that one day, and ever so grateful for you. And we're ever so grateful for our guest, Tammy Simon, who is with us. Our, our phone lines are jammed. Tammy, um, Tammy, I, I think you all might <laughs> know who she is, but we're gonna we're gonna really give you an overview of Tammy Simon today, um, and she'll play along with our games. I hope um, she is the founder of Sounds True, everyone. And I know you all know that and can go to the website, soundstrue.com. But we started off this conversation talking about my favorite thing, dogs, uh, aside from cats, too. Um, you, all you cat fans are safe with us, dog fans and cat fans, because we love all animals. And um, it uh, just gave me goosebumps as we were started to talk about doggies, because um, oh, I know. So fluff, fluffy and furry friends. Um, I thought about this one, Tammy. Are you ready for my bad joke? <laughs> yeah, please. I, okay. I want to play your games, whatever they are. I, mean, this, I don't know, but I'm, I'm in. <laughs> All right, I'm into fluffy and furry friends. Last night, as I was thinking about that, I'm like, and that doesn't mean you people out there who have not had haircuts and who have gained 15 pounds during COVID. We're talking about pets. That was my joke. And that's a bad one, but whatever, you know, kind of thing. So, um, dog, can we start with dogs? Because there's a book that you've sure, read called The sure. Dharma, Dharma of Dogs. Talk about how dogs yeah. are special. Uh, it was a book actually, you know, that I edited. And what we did was we put together about 20 different pieces of writing and photographs, accompanying photographs of spiritual teachers and their dogs with each spiritual teacher writing in the Dharma of dogs, meaning what the essential life truths were that they learned from being in relationship with their four-legged furry friends. And I think the inspiration really for me is that at a certain point, I realized that I was learning the most from Jasmine, a dog that was in my life uh, for 14 years who lived to be 17. I met Jasmine at the same time that I met my partner, Julie. Jasmine came with Julie. And Jasmine Mm -hmm. was just such a heart-opening force in my life. And I think she opened me to love, uh, love through her life and also love through her loss, through her death, unlike anything else, unlike any spiritual book I ever read and unlike any month-long meditation retreat I went on, (laughs) I learned more from our bond and the closeness of our bond and how our bond helped me belong, feel like I belonged in a certain kind of way because I was so connected to another being. I used to talk about her like she was my third leg because everywhere <laughs> I walked, there was Jasmine uh, with me. And so that was what the inspiration was between the Dharma of dogs, how much they can be teachers. Oh, Jasmine. Yeah. I, I, I would get up. My doggy would get up and another um, 14 year doggy story. She was a big, uh, my doggy was Tessa and she was a big dog, like almost a hundred pounds big. And um, when we got her, um, hold on, I'm going to hijack the show for a second. When we got her, <laughs> she, uh, we, I was looking for a dog because we have four, we had four boys and they were, the oldest was 10. And I'm like, what kind of dog can we have into this mix where they won't bite or, you know, all those things that dogs might do. And um, this gal here in Maine said, I have the perfect dog for your family. It's a dog that didn't quite qual- qualify as a therapy dog because she didn't like other dogs, but, oh, she loves kids. And so we went and we got her and, um, oh, it's golden doodles are so amazing. And what's a spoodle? Uh, a spoodle, which is the two dogs that I have now after Jasmine, who was a cocker spaniel, they are half spaniel 
and uh, half poodle, and that's the Australian name for the cockapoo. And because I have uh, I'm married to a woman, we just couldn't go around and saying there's the two of us and two cockapoos. We're playing games here now, Elizabeth. I just couldn't <laughs> yes, do we it. Are. I just couldn't do it. No, you can't do so that. we <laughs> adopted we adopted the Australian name for the breed, which is Spoodle. I love it, and that's raspberry and and how and do you say Bula. the other Bula. Bula. And what's the, what's the significance yeah. of those names? Because all these names have uh, some. Yeah, meaning. sure. Okay, if you really you really want to hear it. Uh, so Raspberry, when we saw her on the website, all of the dogs from this particular litter were named according to their color collar. So she was called Raspberry because that was the color of her collar. And we started calling her Raspberry Girl. And Aww. when it came to naming her, you know, my wife was like, we're not going to call a dog Raspberry. I'm like, but she's our Raspberry Girl. And, you know, Julie, my partner, was like, no, 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 that's a ridiculous name for a dog. You don't <laughs> name a dog after a piece of fruit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, her name's Raspberry. And, and I, just, that's, I just feel it. And uh, she's an all-black spoodle. So actually, she's like a black Raspberry. And then Bula is a word uh, from Fiji. And when we had been traveling in Fiji at one point, we saw how everyone in the country would say bula. It's kind of like the word shalom in Hebrew. Mm. It means hello and peace and have a good day and, you know, may peace be with you. And so the Fijian people, honestly, in, in all the places I've traveled through, are the happiest people. They have just such a happy disposition. And in the morning, everyone would say bula, 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 and smile Aww. at you. And we said to each other, ah, oh, when we get a dog, let's call her Bula. And that will remind us of this, uh, the happiness of the people of Fiji. Oh, pure love. And hi, Julie. Oh, that's, that's amazing. All right. Um, you know, the one thing I'm hearing in your voice that I absolutely love about you is that you explain and you teach as you talk. I absolutely love that. Thank you for that. I hope you all are enjoying that as she's talking um, because that's an amazing gift. Thank you for that. Uh-huh. It's interesting that you pointed out. I think it's uh, not even particularly conscious on my part, but I do always think of myself, you know, I also host a, a podcast, Elizabeth, which I think you know, and I always think of myself as a listener advocate, meaning I'm always listening through the ears of the person receiving the show. And I want them to have all the information so they can kind of put all the pieces together and connect the dots so people aren't left out of whatever context they need to make sense out of things. So I think that's just maybe some part of me that's internalized being an educator, you know, being the publisher at Sounds True for 35 years. I'm always looking out mm-hmm. for the reader or the listener that they're getting the full communication and all the necessary context. But that's I hadn't really special... thought about it, so thank you for pointing it out. What's well, a special gift because a lot of times we get that flipped around and we think it's all about us. You know, it's not the all about me right. show, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, Even it's, when it's you tricky. said in the introduction, we're going to learn all about Tammy Simon, I was a little bit like, huh, that's interesting. Who's she? Because, and I, I mean, obviously, I know that this is the life I'm animating and stuff, so I'm not trying to sound all dissociated and strange. And we, we kind of make up these stories about ourselves. We make up these narratives of our life. Whereas actually I think we're, oh God, this is going to get a little esoteric here, but we're existing in an intersubjective space with other people. So right now it's you, it's me and the listeners. And, you know, interestingly, we were just recording two days ago with Eckhart Tolle and we're creating, it sounds true, a new series with him that's going to go live this fall called Being the Light, an inward journey to accelerate conscious evolution during times of crisis. But right at the beginning, there were just about 15 of us that were on this Zoom call as we were recording this introductory session. And he said, the teaching is a product of the teacher and the students who are listening. The teaching comes from our interaction. It doesn't just exist as something a spokesperson is delivering. It actually emerges. It arises from the interaction, from the shared field. So actually what's happening right now in our conversation, you and me is the listeners are part of it. And it's, it's arising between all of us. And 
it's what is wanted right now in this intersubjective field. So anyway, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I do too. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm for sure going to listen to that. How, when does that, when does that come out and what is that called one more time? It's called being, it's called being the light an inward journey to accelerate conscious evolution in times of crisis. And uh, the series begins in October and we'll be announcing it in the middle of September. Officially, we're just doing some of the preparatory work, but it was just this uh, comment about uh, where the, where, where our words actually come from. They come (laughs) from our shared connection. Hmm. So that's so true. Exactly. Sounds true, right? Um, <laughs> can you go All right. back? You can only say that one once. You can <laughs> exactly. only say that one once. You did it. That it's wasn't done. like it's done. <laughs> that that's right. Done. Yeah. <laughs> that just came out of my mouth. That wasn't even like, oh yeah, I'm with Tammy Simon. It sounds true. I'm like, yeah, it sounds true. Oh yes. Um, do you? Speaking of that moment. Okay. So sounds true. Can you? Take us back to that moment where at age, I think, 22. So I have, I have children. Yeah. My, my oldest is 25, and we go 24, 21, and 19. So I'm thinking of them going, I know, I'm going to start a company. Um, wow. T- talk about that. Yeah. What, did, what was that moment like? Sure. Please. Yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm actually going to have to bring you back a little further into my personal biography because I think sometimes when people, when you have like a moment that you start a company, it doesn't actually come out of nowhere. There's a, a buildup to that moment. And I think it really began in some ways when I first started reading books by Herman Hesse when I was a, a high school student. And, you know, I remember when I read Demian and when I read Siddhartha And then I read a bunch of books by Alan Watts. And these books were my best friends. Before I uh, started having dogs as best friends, I had books as best friends. (laughs) Tells you something about the kind of person I am. An inward person, uh, a meaning-seeking person. And so I loved these books so much. So that was the beginning. And when I went to college, I thought I would be a philosophy major. And it turned out that I was in the religious studies department because what I was really interested in was personal direct experience of, you could call it the nature of being, you could call it God, the divine. Who are we? What's going on? What happens when we die? What's our essence? What is the meaning of life? Like these were the things as a young person that were the most important to me and were, they filled my inner inquiry and inner discovery. And so there I am in the religious studies department at Swarthmore College, studying the writings of great mystics. And I realized that any mystic worth their salt wouldn't get an academic degree in mysticism. It just didn't make sense. Because, of course, in academia, especially 37 years ago, you weren't really allowed to talk about your own experience. You had to write about what other people had discovered and analyze it. And I was like, that's not, that's not the mystical path to share about what Meister Eckhart discovered or Teresa of Avila. It's about going inward and finding what's true for yourself. So I left and I traveled around Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal for a year. And during that time, I discovered the practice of meditation. And I went on these intensive 10-day meditation treats with a uh, teacher, a Burmese meditation master, uh, Goinka. And when I discovered these, they were like boot camp, 10-day intensive periods. And when I discovered meditation and the lights went on inside in a certain kind of way. And what I mean by that is that I knew that the answers to the questions that were so important to me would only come from my inner experience and that I had access, that there was like an umbilical cord directly to all the answers I needed, really, if I would be quiet listen, breathe, and just stay put for a bit and, and listen intently, that there was a, a sense of being like, like plugging in to a, a divine source that would animate uh, my intelligence, creativity, and life. So that was my big discovery when I was 21. And I made a commitment 
that I would share contemplative practice, whether that was meditation or prayer or any practice that tuned people in to that electrical current that's always available to us, that I would share those practices as widely as I could with my life, that that was what my life would be about. And I fully devoted myself to that, dedicated myself. So traveling around India, I would go to these various temples and I would lie flat on the ground with my hands outstretched in front of me in a prostration on the ground, you know, head in the sand saying, you know, this is what I give my life to. This is what I want to do. Hmm. Okay. So we'll just take a pause for a moment, Elizabeth, because that's what kind of seeded the ground of Sounds True was that movement inside of me. And then when I came back to the United States, my parents were like, you're going to finish college, right? And I was like, sure, uh, right. I don't think so. And they were like, well, what are you going to do then? And I was like, well, I don't know. And they're like, well, we're not going to support you. And I was like, well, I don't think you should. Why should you support me? And, you know, they're, they're a big trump card. I was like, no, you shouldn't support me. I should support myself. And I'll figure it out. And, you know, that was a really big moment for me as a person because I had been given uh, everything in my life, really. I'd been given an incredible education by parents who adored me. And for me to basically say, uh, I don't want it anymore. I'm going to go off on my own. They were quite disappointed and concerned and, you know, would I be okay? And it threw me at a young age into a pretty serious type of dark night. And what I mean by that is I had a lot of despair at that point. I had this vision, but I didn't know how to realize it. And I felt that I had been given so much as a person. I had been uh, just given every opportunity And how was I going to give back? And so I started saying a prayer. God, I'm willing to do your work. Please show me. Please show me what it is. And while I was saying this prayer, I was waitressing in a greasy Chinese restaurant in Boulder, Colorado. I had a radio show, volunteer, Boulder County Community Radio. I was interviewing spiritual teachers because I wanted to continue the education and religious studies that I didn't think I could get in an academic setting, but I thought, oh, maybe I can get it if I just go direct to living spiritual teachers and ask them questions and learn from them. And saying this prayer, one of the people that I interviewed for my radio show was a very successful entrepreneur. And as it turned out, I was interviewing him just a couple of months after my father had died. So my father died when I was 21 years old. And when he died, I inherited about 50 grand. And at the time, it seemed like a whole hell of a lot of money uh, to me. And, you know, in today's time, that would be like $200,000. And I said to this person that I was interviewing for my radio show, what should I do with this money that I inherited? I don't know what to do with it. And he said, why don't you put it into yourself? And I was like, well, that's a great idea, but me and myself, we don't quite know what to do. (laughs) Great idea, put it in myself, but what are we going to do? And he looked at me and he said, Tammy, you know what you want to do. Come back to me in a few days and we'll talk about it. And then this odd thing happened. I walked out of his office and as I walked out of his office, I kind of felt like I was walking slightly above the ground, like my feet were a few feet above the ground, not walking on the ground. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm like walking on air. Like literally that's, you know, I feel so mm-hmm. odd. And then I uh, heard a voice. And, of course, I'll never know. Was this the voice inside my head, some kind of internal voice? Was it uh, some guiding angel whispering in my ear? I have no idea. But I heard three words, and they were disseminate spiritual wisdom. And then my feet hit the ground, started walking like a normal person, and I started thinking about it. How am I going to disseminate spiritual wisdom? And then I remembered, oh, I have a radio show, and I love audio. I love listening. I love the human voice. I love words. And already people had requested copies of my little radio show. I would sell five copies a week or something on a little dubbing cassette deck that I had in my bedroom charge people 10 bucks a cassette, uh, smallest cottage business in the world. And I was like, huh, (laughs) okay. 
disseminate spiritual wisdom. I'll start with audio. And that was the beginnings of Sounds True. Ah. <sighs> I love that story. <laughs> it's not even, a, it's like, it's a, it's just meant to be. Yeah. There's the, there's this sense of uh, a miracle story, if you will. And yeah. a miracle meaning here I was a desperate uh, praying and lost 21-year-old, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, who wanted to do something good and was looking for a set of operating instructions from the universe. And I received them in a way that was, uh, you couldn't doubt it. I couldn't doubt it. I mean, someone from the outside could doubt it. And believe me, as I've told this story over the years, I've been made fun of and different things have happened oh. and, you know, depending on, <laughs> yeah. you know, different things. Like, oh, she heard, story she heard there, a voice, for sure. you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But in my own internal experience, this was uh, unshakable. I knew this was what I was supposed to do and that I would find a way to do it. That is so... Um... That, that that actually gives me, um, for all you all listening who just got a little bit of self-confidence from that, um, that just made, the whole time you were talking, I'm like, it's a hard feeling to explain, but it's almost like goosebumps. Like the, the dog story at the beginning, you know, when you were talking about dogs, I just had that all again. Um, for anybody trying to start something or you have a vision in your head and you don't know how to begin and all those things, Um that's it's powerful what you just said. I hope people replay that and listen to you because you followed yourself. And uh, I had a yeah, moment and like I think, that. I think the yeah. Oh, go ahead, please. I want to hear. No, like no. To hear. Well, well, I was just going to underscore maybe part of the application for people who are listening, which please. is one that we're not in this on our own. There was a sense that there was cosmic support coming. And that I believe that cosmic support was in direct proportion to the sincerity of my heart's prayer, that there was a direct relationship there, that I really wanted to be of service, and I really wanted to bring contemplative practice to as many people as possible. That was sincere. And when I said, God, I'm willing to do your work, I was like, I was imagining myself mopping floors. And I was like, you know, if I have to mop floors, if that's the work that God wants me to do, I'll be that. Like, I want to serve. I want to be part of the solution here. And I'm, I'm offering myself fully. And I think the response and the clarity of the response that I received, and it didn't happen right away. It took, it, 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 you know, I had to repeat this prayer again and again inside. But it came. It came. And the support came. And that's the point I want to underscore is that I think sometimes we get this idea that it's kind of all up to us and I don't see it that way. I think we're part of a living network and that the universe meets our sincerity. Yeah. And you're resonating with Mel, the podcast kitty in the background, um, more cosmic confirmation with, uh, I have a, I have a feral cat that we adopted and her name is Mel and um, she has, co-hosted all 522 episodes of the show and when she loves a guest she meows in the background and um oh, nice. she, that was her that was her meowing to everything you were just saying after like every sentence like give me a give me a yeah <laughs> so sorry but now that. Elizabeth I want to hear I want to hear your story um so Similar to, um, so I, I have a financial services background, and the littlest one went into first grade, and I went, oh, I'll go get a job kind of thing. And I, and I was in this job, and um, we won't name names or anything like that, but the job just wasn't working out. So I closed the door to my office, and I said, please give me a clue of what I'm supposed to do, what I'm meant for, and who I can assist in this world and very sincere calling as well. Just like, well, it's got to be something different than this. This isn't it. And I took pen to paper in front of me. It was a blank piece of paper and I wrote down best ever you. I have no idea still to this day really where that came from. And I wrote, there's, there, there's way better. You know, it was just a kind of a mishmash of things. And, um, but best ever you was very clear. And I went up, up the street to my neighbor who knew how to do websites and <laughs> trudged up the street. And I said, so this happened. And she's like, Oh, I can do like a 
let's see if besteveru.com is open. And we started it right then and there, my, my neighbor up the street and I, and we featured my best friend from kindergarten who was sewing baby bibs on her kitchen counter for all of the people who were celebrating all of these babies while she was miserable in infertility. Um, as she since has two beautiful children, but she was just in this miserable mode of um, happiness, but sadness at the same clashing time. And um, mm-hmm. so it just was like a poof of, of beauty into the, into the air of helping people be their best. And she was kind of the, the person we started talking about, you know, let's get out over this, these moments of feeling so bad about yourself and what's great about you. And, you know, let's, you know, you know all the all the things that where people step in and just support your goals and dreams in life, and that's that's mm-hmm. how we started. But I, um, I, I was wondering if we could talk about at this moment um, where I can't. I, I bet people might sh- resonate with this as well. But I cannot get the picture of my father dying out of my head very easily. I have to really. I, I, some days I'll just be like sit with it all day and cause I miss him so much, but he died in October, 2018. Um, he's a stroke survivor since 2004. And, um, so when you watch someone take their last, there are all sorts of emotions that come up. And, um, you were talking about the death of, of your father. Um, mm-hmm. does that, do you, do you think about the, that, you know, do you think about that a lot or, you know, I'm, I I don't even know how what to say or how to articulate that. Sure. Quite. No, there's so much in Help your me out. there's so much in your question. And yeah. you know, interestingly, Elizabeth, you're you're going right for the uh heart and soul of life in a certain way, starting by talking about uh dogs, which to me opens my heart and probably for many of your listeners too, unlike anything else, because the love is so pure. And here, you know, the the love of our parents and their passing, even if our relationships with our parents are complicated and uh, have, uh, you know, different aspects of things we really uh, appreciated and will miss about them combined with things that were hard for us or, or difficult, they're still, they're our parents. And, you know, I have a picture of uh, my parents from their wedding that's on my desk. It's pretty big. And I realized that uh, after creating different altars throughout my life with various spiritual teachers on those altars, that in many ways, my parents were the key, their photograph was the key element in any altar that I would have as a person, because I'm their continuation. I'm the product of their love, I inherited the best and the worst in them, and I am here to transmute the negative qualities I inherited and give voice and expression and carry on the lineage of all the incredible things I inherited from them. And, you know, quite mm. honestly, as we're talking right now, I feel both of their presences with me mm. in, a, in a strong way. And I feel both of their presences with me a lot. I really do. And that way I feel, I think, more like uh, someone who is uh, from an earth-based spiritual tradition and has a very strong connection to ancestors and the way that our ancestors empower us and want to continue to partner with us in the world to uh, bring forward the, the best gifts of our lineage. So you asked about my father. You know, I was so young when he died. And in, in many ways, I, I don't even think I knew at the time how, uh, how to integrate it into my experience. And really at that point when he died, I was more concerned as a 21-year-old with kind of finding my place in the world. Yeah. That was more what was... Uh, important for me then. Over the years, I've missed him so much in different ways. And yet, as I said, I feel that connection with him. Now, my mother, meaning I feel him right now. So I kind of miss him, but Mm, I feel him. I feel him. I feel, feel, you know, to say, oh, he would have been so proud if he could have seen different things in my business and stuff like that. Well, I think he can. 
So it's just I'm just sharing with you my truth from my heart, whatever people make of it. Thank you. Now with my mom, because you talked about being at the bedside and somebody having their last breath. Well, you talked about the last breath, which put me at the bedside of my mother who died a little over a year ago. And she was oh. uh, 94 at the time. And I was with her. I was there holding her hand. And Julie, my partner, was on the other side of her, the bed holding her other hand. And it's so amazing to be with somebody and to watch their physical organism uh, complete itself and no longer be animated by breath and then to feel all the feelings that we have and then to sense the presence of their soul and to sense that continuity. All, all happening in the room at the same time. And, yeah, so you're bringing this up because I think it's just such an important thing to talk about. People don't talk about it that much in our culture. We have a, a culture where, uh, you know, death is often one of those things that's like a medical event instead of a community, soul-based event. And I just think it's important to share these stories because they're so... Uh, they're so intimate and rich and significant to who we are. And I think about that moment a lot, being with my mom at her bedside. I think about it a lot. Yeah, I, I do too with, with my dad. And um, it's not necessarily good or bad or anything. It just sort of is. And I, I've learned to sort of let it be what it is. Um, when, it, when it comes up for me, I just am like, okay. You know, you might want to be telling me something today or whatever it is. I, I don't know. But we were all in the room together, and um, we knew he was going to pass within a certain time frame. Um, and it was, uh, you know, tw- 20 people in a room. Um, he was mm. very, very, very special. And I'm. Um, it's interesting to to um, thank you for, for allowing me to, to talk about my dad a little bit here. And, and thank you for sharing about your parents as well. Um it, yeah, I agree with you so much that we don't talk about that. And I think, one, can I keep going for a second about one of the things? And you can yeah, cur- please. maybe, cur- yeah. so since this has happened and it was October, 2018, I, so I came back um, there, my parents are in Minnesota and I'm in Maine and I would go back and forth and all this stuff. And, and when I came back, I, I don't know why I decided to go to the grocery store. I must've felt a little less sad or whatever, but I got to the grocery store and I was standing over pears. And this lady came up to me and she looked at me and said, which one of your parents just passed away? And I'm like, how in the world would you know that? That's what I said to her. She said, that look on your face is unmistakable. And I guess I was crying over, over the pears. And she Uh said, permission to just give you a hug. And Uh I don't know who she was. I still, I've looked around. I go to the grocery store sometimes just to see if I'll find her again to, you know, return the hug, not in COVID environment. I haven't been there for a while, but you know what I mean? Um, For 2019, I would travel up to the grocery store and just sort of hang around the pairs to see if I might see her again. And I've never seen her again since. Um, Yeah. Well, well, I think that story also, it's a, it's a indicator again of the absolute aliveness of the world that we're yeah. not living. We think we're in our own little bubble, but we're not. We're in a web of living, communicating, listening, and then responding, interactive nodes, all of the people, the wind, you know, the yeah. elements, all of it is communicating with us. Yeah. And I, I, I think a lot of us are walking around, um, I've, I've sort of t- been trying to, as much as I can say, please pause for other people. And when you encounter other people, please encounter them with a sense of grace and compassion and maybe even, you know, a, p- a pause in there to respect what might be going on in their life in the background that you don't even have a clue about. I think we're walking around with people where like multiple things might, especially right now, um, where multiple things might be playing out at once. Um, and you just have no sense of maybe what they are. We're very good hiders of what's happening. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, I think especially right now, there's so much happening for all of us. I don't know a single person who isn't being touched in some way by 
the pandemic, by the economic issues, by the ecological disturbances and disruptions in the environment, the fires, the hurricane, et cetera, et cetera. And so everyone is uh, their own kind of uh, cauldron of metabolizing suffering. And if not their own, then that of people that they know or the collective. And I think it's a time for each one of us where the more we can do our inner work and be clear and in our heart and calm and open and spacious, then we are available to be able to give a gift to another person and not just be part of the kind of toxic overflow. Uh, Because, you know, COVID stress is very real. It's very real. And I think we're all... We're, we're all experiencing it, and I think it's asking all of us to up our inner commitments and clearing mechanisms so that we can be a medicine for others. We have a question. Would you like a question? Um, I'm, I'm not going to – Sure. Gonna, yeah, they typed it in, so I'll just I'll repeat it. But um, it goes back to the beginning of the show, actually. Sorry that I missed your question while we were talking at the beginning of the show. I didn't see it. Um, but here we go. Um, the question is, um, you mentioned some authors and books that, I, that she said I am unfamiliar with. Um, if I'm new to it, basically, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, if I'm new to this experience of listening to you and trying to learn and so forth, where do you recommend I start? Well, oh, God, I have to say, this is a little bit like, uh, being spiked, <laughs> giving the ball to spike in volleyball or something like that. But check out SoundsTrue.com. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so SoundsTrue.com, we have, we've published so many uh, books and audio programs and courses. And in the beginning of the show, we were talking about the book, The Dharma of Dogs. And you can find that at SoundsTrue.com. But if you just go to SoundsTrue.com, there's, you know, 500 plus free podcasts. So you could listen to those and which authors and which books appeal to you and just lots of other content. What's the name of your podcast again? It's called Insights at the Edge. Love it. And so that, that'd probably be another great place to start. There's a, who are, who are some of, okay, let me rephrase that. Are you, you're a lifelong learner, right? For sure. <laughs> who, who do you study? Where, what are you th- thinking about these days? What are you okay, reading? Okay, Elizabeth, you really want to know? You really yes, want to know? You ask me. So, uh, okay. Well, it's a little esoteric, but uh, the only person whose books I really deeply read and study for fun, like outside of the Sounds True world, is a writer who writes under the pen name A.H. Almas, A-L-M-A-A-S. A.H. Almas, and he's the founder of something called the Diamond Approach. And Mm. I love to really deeply study his books. So in that sense, I'm a true spiritual nerd. Like some of his books are like 500 pages long. So on vacation, I bring an Almas book with me. And that's what I read on the beach in Hawaii or something. And you know, it's a little (laughs) odd, not, you know, most people have a magazine or something. And I have this, you know, uh, uh, but that's, it, the diamond approach is really a seamless integration of a spiritual approach to life and a psychological approach where you're simultaneously working on both aspects of yourself. Because I think one of the things I found in my work, it sounds true, is I would work with different spiritual teachers like, well, you know, that's good, but how come they still have this part of their psychology that's so unresolved like there's some way that they're bypassing the uh, emotional work they need to do do you know what I mean they've gone directly up to a cloud bank in heaven and yet I can feel like they don't say they're angry because they're not supposed to be angry because emotions aren't spiritual but I can feel they're they seem a little angry to me under the surface so you know it's like spirituality how it can be used sometimes to just sort of like light wash everything. And that never worked for me as a person. For me, your psychology, which to me, psychology includes how you relate to yourself, 
how you relate to other people, uh, how you handle your emotions, all of that. That has to also be mature, developed, and evolved. Sometimes people talk about it as waking up as the spiritual journey where you wake up to something that is timeless and eternal and growing up, which is your psychology, which is that you're a mature, uh, uh, developed, wise elder and how we need to both wake up and grow up. Both are important. And so for me, Almas as a teacher is somebody who really brings those, both of those things together. And that's why I like to study his work when I have time. It's deep, so it's it. that's why I joked about like going on vacation with it or something. It's okay. It adds a little. It's a carry-on, right? It's its own carry-on. <laughs> you yes, like it. I said, it's a little esoteric, <laughs> but you you asked. So. Oh, good. <sighs> yeah. Do you? Um, what are some of the? What are some of the things that you've um, learned during COVID? Have you have? I don't know if that's uh-huh. if that even interests that's, you or no, not. No, that's but. a big question. Yeah. Well, I'd say the main thing I've learned from COVID is uh, how unenlightened I am. If you want to know the truth, huh. right I'm there. I'm feeling that way myself. How much, how, <laughs> how much inner work I have to do, and I think oh, there is a yeah. way pre the pandemic. I don't know. I guess I'm just going to be honest once again. You have a way, Elizabeth, of bringing out the the, the real honesty in people. Jesus, uh, I may I may provide a full context to what I'm trying to say, but you really are getting me to say certain things. But anyway, I think pre-COVID there was a way I was kind of coasting, a dimension in which I was coasting, meaning there was oh. a, there wasn't so much pressure coming on me. Even though, of course, there's a lot of pressure with my work and, you know, having 125 employees and all that, it's like never goes away. <laughs> but I, I was able to kind of draw on certain resources to keep myself uh, in a pretty balanced place. And yeah. when the pandemic hit and everything, it was more like, oh, my God, I'm getting squeezed from the left. I'm getting squeezed from the right. I'm getting squeezed from, my, you know, from watching the news. I'm getting squeezed from, the, I mean, recently, you know. Uh, you can't breathe the air outside from the fires. And when you're inside, uh, you can't turn the swamp cooler on because it's recycling. Where can I go? You know, so I think there's been a squeeze. I looked at my husband. Yeah, yesterday. I'm having to. I'm I got to get out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He put me in the car and we went for a drive. I'm like, there's the beach or whatever. You know, just to, the, yeah, I, I know what you mean, but, oh, Oh, can we talk about feeling like there's so much more work to do? Like you think you've got a concept down and you're like, nope, 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 nope. There's more to learn. It's a wild feeling. Yeah. And it can, it can leave you almost feeling like it's never enough, which is that's treading in an interesting direction. It's like, no, 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 no. We need to remain feeling like yeah. enough, but maybe sometimes we don't. Maybe sometimes well, that's I not think, enough feeling. I think re, re, giving a different cartography of the human journey as it is, it is a a journey without end. So I think as long as we posit some kind of goal of some kind, like I'm going to get to this place, you know, like the end of a hike or something, and then everything's going to be, I don't think that's the right mapping of our life. If instead it's all journey all the time, there is no arriving. There is no destination. Oh, I hear that. It's, it's actually just the moment-to-moment hmm. stepping one foot after another. So is each foot a good foot? Like, in, is, is it a good step on the ground? Is it a good breath? This breath, this inhale, this exhale, this part, because there's nowhere we're actually going. There is no end point. Mm. When my and father so died, I, I think that reef. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, no. Say what you're going to say, please, please, please. No, no, no. Please, please. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Well, when my father died, I came back to my pretty house here in Maine with my pretty car, my pretty kids, my pretty husband, and all these things, and I, and my shoes and my dresses and whatever else it is, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, for for almost all of 2019, call it a depression, call it whatever you want to call it, I could not find my footing, thinking I was had life wrong feeling like oh it's 
when you see somebody take their last breath, it makes everything material feel so strange. It is yeah. a really yeah. hard concept for me to resolve in my head still as we're talking right now. I'm like, oh, what? So I, I thought in my head, boy, I really need to get to the heart of what matters. And I still feel like I'm doing all this work trying to figure out what really matters. And I keep coming to this conclusion that it's people, all of us, loving each other, that these moments that we have where we connect and we talk and we are, are actually, you know, honest with each other and so forth. I don't know what else. Do you have anything to add to that to add some yeah, continued yeah, clarity? Yeah. What <laughs> Hard I would, to figure it out. What I, yeah. What I would add is that all you need to know, all any of us need to know in my view is what matters to me right now with this step on the journey. Like we don't have to come up with a philosophical treatise on what matters for humans and what the purpose (laughs) of life in general is. You just need to know for yourself in this moment, what, what is the right action for me? What matters to me right now in this moment? Because, and that's once again, is it's like, I think sometimes we get so, abstract in our mind and we think we have to figure out all these different things as if there's some place where we're going to land in some like territory of the the land that matters. Now I live in the (laughs) land that matters. matters. In the land that matters, you know, whatever. And it's just a a journey. And so, and so connecting with people and having that heart-based connection is obviously something really important to you. And there may also be a moment where the next step of what really matters to you is to go, you know, walk by yourself in the forest and uh, uh, cry. And that's it. Mm. That's what, that's what's real. That's like what's in your heart. That's what, that's what, and, you know, talk to a leaf or something or (laughs) go clean clean a closet or something. What matters to me right now is to go clean yeah, like whatever it is. And so yeah. I think when we break it down and make it just the next step, you know, that then we're in present time. We're actually right. And that's actually all we ever have is this, this experience right now where we all are. The future land that we're trying to get to is a fiction. It's a fabrication of our minds. When we, you know, when we get there, then there's some other future land. There, so we actually have to really, really, really deeply get into the journey. And it sounds to me with your father's death that there was a, it was a huge just grieving process. And that, of course, yeah. makes sense. Of course. You know, he sounds like he was an amazing human and that he oh, had uh, cool. g- given amazing gifts to your family. Yeah, he he was – so my – I'm uh, my mom divorced my my father my boy, I just call him whatever my father um, when I was three and then got remarried and I really I know my I know my father and all this stuff but I was raised with James Hamilton as my father and um, he adopted me and everything so my name's Elizabeth Hamilton Garino and, and and so I've known him as my father and he was who raised me since age three. And um, just a brilliant, brilliant soul. Oh, just you just miss him every day. And my mother is, um, oh, my mom is so cool too. <laughs> I, my mom is just, they're just lovely people. And you, when my father, when we knew my father was probably going to pass, I went to Minnesota and stayed with my mom for a really long time. Um, and it's time that you might not have otherwise ever had I mean, I really know my mom better than I ever would have ever. Um, I spent every waking moment with my mom for like, I don't even know how many months it was. And then I'd come back home for a little bit and see somebody initiated into the honor society and then go back to Minnesota or whatever. And then following my father's death, my mom had a, 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 I wouldn't call it a life-threatening surgery, but a, a doozy of a surgery. And so I stayed with her another eight weeks. And that time, um, by the end of it, I'm like, okay, I can take a break from you. <laughs> I've got you, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. And then you get home, and, like, and then she's like, well, I miss you. And so we flew her back here, and she's and she hung out here for a bunch of weeks. But just so you know, parents are just so special. 
Um, so it's, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot about people and their parents and their lives and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. People are really important to me. And um, th- I think that's one of the most mm-hmm. fun things about interacting with the general public and other people and so forth is you hear, hear all, about everybody's lives. Don't you find people mm-hmm. fascinating? Mm-hmm. I do. I do. I find people, I, th- I find, I mean, in a way I could find almost anything fascinating, to be honest. And I mean, I know it may sound weird, but anything could be fascinating, yeah. you know, if you pay careful enough reverent attention. attention to it. Now, the one thing that I think I just want to underscore, the question, what really matters? What really matters to me? That is a very, very, very profound door-opening question, I think. And so if the loss of your father brought that question to the forefront, that's profound. I mean, that's, I think, one of the gifts that uh, grief gives us. I think that's also potentially one of the gifts that the pandemic could be bringing to us as a culture is for people to be asking that. Are the things that I thought mattered? I thought it mattered, you know, to go out to restaurants and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or I thought it mattered to have this, that, you know, what, what really matters actually? And so I, I guess I just want to underscore that the answer I don't think is even as important as deeply reflecting each one of us on that question. Yeah. I, um, I, I think about it every day when I wake up in the morning, I, first of all, I'm very thankful that I'm alive because I'm, I have really life threatening food allergies and so forth. And I, I deal with a medical condition every day. And then I think about uh, what matters and what's going to matter? What am I? What am I going to do? Or what's somebody else going to do? And so forth to really like matter. And um, I don't know. I, I agree with you so much. That's a. It's a question, isn't it? And it really. Mm-hmm. I think the pandemic definitely makes us think about that a lot. I know. I've been looking around, going, "Hmm, I had some things wrong." I think, and and to not beat yourself up on that score too. You know, to think, oh, I might have had that view on that or this purchase wrong or whatever it is. But to not go all into mode of, oh, I suck because I did that. Um, that's, that's a slippery slope. And I think just we're always learning. Just to say, you know, you asked me, are you a lifelong learner? And I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> and if you have that view of learning, we're always learning. Every day I'm learning. Then if you learn something new, it may and often will uh, uh, correct something that was an old view or an old perspective. And certainly I think being motivated by self-criticism is an outdated view that we could grow out of. And there's a, a lot of research now that shows that when we act out of things like self-compassion, instead of self-criticism, when we fill ourselves with gratitude for what we do have, if we come from those places and make changes in our life versus coming from a place of putting ourselves down, it actually works better. The changes we want to make happen more easily and we're able to stick with them more. So I think going to these places of self-compassion, just like, oh, I'm a human being. As a human being, I'm always learning. That means that even what I just learned today is going to become outdated. <laughs> you know, even that, your new big discovery is going to become old news at some point. That's what evolution's all about. Okay, great. I'm a learner. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, with five minutes left, what haven't we talked about that you might want to talk about? <laughs> That's the old can of worms. What did yeah. I ask you? <laughs> Tell us something to add. Tell- Teach well, us something noticed, or noticed, point us somewhere. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I noticed in reviewing our conversation that the one thing I felt um, the, the, that I had this question mark about was sharing with you how much I love reading the books of A.H. Olmos. And I don't want to necessarily go back into the deep end of, of what about those books because that's not the point. The point is I shared something about myself that is perhaps a little odd it's not like I didn't share with you some New York Times bestselling author that everybody's going to appreciate and stuff like that. And the reason I'm underscoring this is that I think all of us have our own little oddities and peculiarities. And often we're a little ashamed about them or 
we think, oh, that's what makes me weird or a freak or whatever. And I think what I want to share is that that's also what makes us special and specially us and that we can actually come forward in our oddities and that when we do, it is, it's strangely freeing in a way that we don't have to fit some status quo uh, framework like a Procrustean bed you know, uh, the story of Procrustius where the, the person in the bed was, you know, much longer and they chopped uh, his legs off so that he would fit in the bed. And I think we spend too much time in our society fitting the status quo and that the actual permission that if I could grant everybody listening here is that that thing about you, who knows what it is? Who knows what matters to you? Maybe, you know, what matters to you is some little part of your garden or something like that, but you would never really tell somebody that, you know, worshiping the dahlias is the thing that makes me the happiest as a human being, something like that, because, you know, where's that going to take me? But that is actually the thing that's uh, so cool about you, about you, the listener. And so I guess that's what I feel like saying is let's give ourselves permission to celebrate our interesting idiosyncrasies oh, and be inclusive about it and I, I love it that is it, my mom will say to me sometimes you know that website of yours it's got everything but the kitchen sink on it I'm like well maybe we need that too then <laughs> I uh, keep asking exactly. somebody to write me a blog about the kitchen sink so if y'all want to write me a blog yeah. about the kitchen sink I will post them so we have the kitchen sink finally but yeah I yeah. oh I couldn't agree with you more there be and and I, oh, people get so afraid of like, oh, if anybody ever really actually knew that about me, that I collect coffee cups or cat pins or have too many shoes or I do this show with my hair on top of my head and no makeup on. Oh, well, you know, and right. um, yeah, that's I, awesome. I think it's really, it's really celebrating that there's only one of you. There's oh. only one of you. And oh, I think that's that. one of the most important things. Because people look outside and they they try to copy other people, but it's not like that. There's only one of you. And the only way you're going to come fully forward is when you really, really, really give birth to who you, uniquely, very uniquely, one of you, only one of you. Ah, I love it. All right, I'm going to be quiet. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, Thank you, Elizabeth. You're a great conversationalist. As I said, you got me to say all kinds of things I wouldn't normally say. You're, well, you're good. I, Thank you. I, I love uh, having you on the show, and it's a it's just an um, honor to to have you here. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to the amazing Tammy Simon, the founder of Sounds True, uh, at SoundsTrue.com. And she she mentioned um, there are a lot of books on Sounds True, a lot of podcasts, a lot of everything. I hope you all. We'll head there right after the show or during the show and um, go check it out. But, um, Tammy, thank you so much, and please continue to keep staying safe and well. All right. Enjoy. And thank you, Julie, for for giving us Tammy today (laughs) and uh, Raspberry and Beulah. That's so cute. All right. Lots of love, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You show. Just a reminder that we are not advertising funded or anything. We are all grassroots. Um, we've got a couple million downloads and it is all because of you. It's all because of um, you listening to us and embracing our guests and what they say and have to offer us to help us all be our best. And so um, I really thank you so much for helping um, us be a number one rated live show. All right. Thanks everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to the best ever you show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
but if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.